Hello, hello, everyone. Um, we have a very special episode in store for everyone today. With me is Munira Qureshi, um, and we've been chatting for some time. And I can just tell you that it's going to be an incredible episode. Um, Munira is the vice president of product strategy and innovation at Ezra Coaching, which is a professional training and coaching company. She was previously the director of product at TVO. TVO is a Canadian media education group, probably the largest in Canada. And in the early days of her career, she's worked as a software developer and also as a process engineer in both Pakistan and Saudi Arabia. So from Lahore to Saudi Arabia to Canada, so you've been to many places, Munira, and that's been quite an incredible journey. And as you'd also mentioned that you're a mentor at Women in Product. And for those who don't know, Women in Product is a nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering women in product management and advocating for equal representation in technology. Um, and you also hold an MBA from University of Liverpool. Munira, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's very exciting. It, 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 as exciting as it is for you, it's it's more it's doubly more for me and for everyone that's listening to this podcast. Um, so, Munira, before like before I delve into some of the you know some of the probing edtech questions I have in store for you, I'd like to start with you know, your personal journey from Pakistan to Saudi Arabia to Canada, and now you're eventually living there. How has that entire experience been? And, you know, if you just, if you can very quickly focus through, um, you know, how that, how that journey looks like. Yes, sure. Actually, I, my life journey didn't start from Pakistan directly. I was actually born in Saudi Arabia. I was really young when my family moved back, which I really thankful, I think, uh, all my creative thinking is also coming from Pakistan. I think it's an amazing country to be able to grow up and get educated in. Um, I, I, I started I, uh, while I was really young. Of course, your parents have the dreams and wishes for you. And uh, most of them was really about what I, what I will be doing and what degrees I will be taking when I grow up. So. I tried, my dad was an amazing role model for me and he was really, really focused on having a good and higher education, especially as a woman in Pakistan, where I'm, I have two more amazing sisters as well. So of course he was really focused on that. Uh, in the beginning, it was really about let's become a doctor, pre-med, and I did hmm. some education around that. And I came back, uh, one of the exams I gave and I came back, I'm like, dad, I don't think that's for me. I really, really want to go into the point and I think math would Really good. So I started doing additional math and I went to do computer science eventually and became an engineer, which I thoroughly loved. I was in a cohesion textiles and I was in a very small uh, IT department and doing some engineering around uh, database engineering, actually Oracle ATI. We were implementing financial, uh, Oracle financials, which was amazing. And then after that, I moved to uh, Saudi Arabia. I, I got married, moved to Saudi Arabia, did a few gigs over there and really enjoyed and had a young family and really had a very good exposure because it's a very, although it's Middle East, but it has, you, you get really exposed to very different cultures. So where I was living, I was really exposed to almost 45 different nationalities, which is amazing for my own personal growth. And then um, our, our plan was always to move towards Canada or North America and we chose Canada because we always loved being around Canadians too. Finally moved here almost 10 years ago 
and I started working uh, small consulting. I actually tried graphic design also and failed <laughs> yeah. as a freelancer, uh, which, which was also my really, really bad passion. But I now lead design team, which is, which is amazing. Uh, and then I eventually joined a company, which was a product company. And I loved the entrepreneurship because I was always doing my own side gigs. And it's also coming from family. We're all entrepreneurs. So, yeah, that's where it started. And I started my journey in TVO. TVO was an, is an amazing organization with really, really good culture and really good mission. Uh, it's around journalism, media, documentaries, and digital education. My first of the products were actually games for kids, which I loved. So anyway, so, and I loved coaching and training. So eventually started and leading five to six product teams and leading design principle, which I, and I coach and mentor on the side for women in product and also anyone who reach out. Actually, a lot of people who are new in the country also reach out for help that how to get into the product management. It's not only focused on women in product, it's anyone, but mainly my main mentees have been women. So of course, so. Yeah, and now I'm in the in the in coaching and the professional coaching uh, company, which is a B two B product, an amazing company, and I totally adore. I know I have had amazing coaches in my career and mentors, so it brings a lot of value. So I'm loving it so far. Look, that sounds like an extremely accomplished and a very illustrious career, um, and life truly does come full circle. You know, you started out um, probably as like back in, you know, when you graduated as one of the very few people, one of the very few women in tech. Um, and now, you know, you are a role model. Only one woman, actually in my cohort that's... in Ireland, in the university. Yes. Wow, that's... Women, they rocked off. But anyways, but enjoyed it. I loved, I, I always loved computer science, the tech side. Of, yes. Yeah. No, that's incredible, right? And now to think about the fact that you are a role model to to so many others and in, and I'm sure encouraging them to take on in your capacity as a mentor in women in product, encouraging people to now take up roles in, uh, you know, roles in product management and technology jobs in general. So um, I'm most interested right now because, you know, you've given your deep experience in edtech, I'm going to mostly focus all of my questions there, um, child, whether they're related to the industry, whether they're related to um, the profession itself. So you spent seven <laughs> Great. So you spent seven years in TVO, um, and that was also the formal beginning of your product manager journey. So you started as a product owner, and then you eventually became the director of product, which is incredibly inspiring. Um, so I'd love for you to talk about that experience as to what it means to be a product manager in an ed tech startup. Um, and what are some of the challenges that are that you think are peculiar to this industry that, you know, um, that are that are very um, uh, that are very idiosyncratic, idiosyncratic to this industry. Uh, I'd love for you to yes, talk definitely. about that. Yeah, no, no, I would love to. Uh, first of all, I would say that lots of people are working as a product manager, but the titles are not. So this is still an emerging industry. Lots of people are. So I think my previous role had been a lot product management, but the titles were never there. One of the reasons I joined TBO was because it was a product company and they had the proper titles. So any entrepreneur who's actually building a tech product is actually a product manager. I would say that my current CEO and other C-level executive, uh, because I am right now in a startup, and they how they started and when I joined and I looked at I'm like, okay, they have been some amazing product managers here without having the product manager title, right? So I would say that, uh, yes, this industry is emerging. 
rights uh, along uh, with everyone. And it is becoming a very essential role for the organizations now. So uh, yes. if I talk about ed tech, if you, if you think about how the industry has vastly changed in the last couple of years because of the uh, pandemic, I think globally, the uh, this uh, the ed tech, especially education sector, was almost two fifty five billion dollar industry. Now, actually, by twenty twenty seven, it might cross the six hundred billion. So almost double. It's really, really, uh, it's doubled during the years of pandemic because there was a lot of because that was the only way to actually uh, educate and have the learning. So uh, this is booming industry. And I think uh, having accessibility given to anywhere in the world, the same level of education as others are getting, has an amazing opportunity. But of course, it doesn't fully replace in-person learning. But we'll talk a little, uh, I can talk a little later about how you can use the amazing digital intuitive experiences of uh, in education and actually really bring and flourish that in-person learning as well. So uh, one of the challenges that I would say in education, uh, the opportunities that came in pandemic was that people didn't know how, how to actually manage the classrooms, manage the in-person learning and really completely flip. We have so much resistance in this industry of change and I won't blame them. There is a lot of missing, there is a technology and infrastructure issues. Overall, not every, every school and every education institute have the same technical savvy uh, educators. I think that's where it's also missing. And that's and the resistance of teams is not only for technology. It's also because if you are one teacher uh, or a facilitator, I would say teachers are doing a lot of amazing facilitation within the classroom. You have, if you have 30 or 25 kids, let's say, you are dealing with 30 different use cases. Your resistance to make a change is actually really, really valid. But how do you actually, um, how do you bring that change? I think the biggest piece is actually the change management and the ad tech. That's why it slows down a lot. I think it's, it has gone better in pandemic, but on other cases, it has also gone worse because what happened is that when you have no other option, you're trying to copycat uh, something that you're not, it's not within you as an educator. It becomes difficult to actually train or educate kids online. But in general, I think it has the most opportunity in this market. Um, yeah. No, that, that sounds inspiring. And I actually want to kind of, you touched upon this a little bit, and maybe that's where I want to head to, you know, head towards next, which is that you talked about that, how it's difficult to replace in-class experience via edtech, right? And the pand and pandemic, like you rightly pointed out, kind of accelerated, right? You know, it no longer was, okay, you have an either or option. It was like, it's either this or don't get an education, right? Almost every classroom in every school had to adopt or adapt to this digital model. Um, and that really, I mean, we've learned, we've just started to realize the impact that you know the pandemic had in its two years um you know a lot of things have been reversed for example being able to go out you know not having to wear a mask all the time but there's so many changes that have now been deeply ingrained that are only going to just you know 10 years or 20 years back we're going to think about this one event as this kind of you know an inflection point in human history 
which changed a lot of our habits, right? Uh, so continuing on that note, I would love to know about during the 2000 or the late 2000s and the early 2010s, there was an expansion or a rise in move, uh, massive online open courses, right? So your job, MITs and, you know, your at your um, Harvard's and edX's, they started distributing, um, you know, Harvard grade or MIT grade knowledge for free, right? You know, you could sign up and you can get a certificate, but the certificate really didn't matter because the content, right? The content was the same, um, was, was the same as the one that an, a student at Harvard would receive. So, and that was hailed or that was kind of, you know, flagged as this, um, you know, revolution that is just going to change, um, you know, access to, to educate, there's just going to change access to education and therefore going to create a more, um, level playing ground for everyone to get, you know, to get access to eventually jobs, um, and career opportunities. Uh, but that didn't really happen because MOOCs, if I remember correctly, had a completion rate for less than 5%. And then uske baad we realize that content really doesn't only content doesn't matter. There are other things that are that need to be taken into consideration. Then now we're seeing a rise in cohort-based education, right? Which somehow models what you see in a classroom where you have a setting, where you have a group, where you have a community, and they start to hold each other accountable from the perspective of a social contract or so. So I would love to hear your kind of insights because you know you've been working uh, so much you you've been working in this industry for so long as to how this industry has evolved and what kind of future do you see for it so i i think there are you will find very different point of views around this because it has it, there is a lot of um, different point of views because of how much each country globally uh, where everyone's at on ready for for a change there are two things. Content is available everywhere. You can become a software engineer sitting in the basement and doing a six months course or or even two months doing your coding uh, by uh, by doing a course versus doing a five-year or a three-year degree program. The CSA. So that, that also shows that sometimes we use technology as a hack, right? The main root cause, cause problems which are in the education system starting to surface, surface up when pandemic started to coming up. So for example, if you are in a cohort-based system in person, when you're uh, doing an exam, right, which is basically time-constrained exam, you don't have any choice, right, uh, other than, but people start having a choice. Um, and some of the uh, issues that we saw, like I especially saw when the pandemic happened, with the students who were actually doing or some people were actually getting a lot of anxiety on the video cameras if you're trying to solve the same issue through camera, right? There is a lot of problems with you. For me, that's sometimes it's a hack. It's a hack on why do they have to cheat? Why they didn't uh, that? Why they could not consume the content in a way that they're applying their learning to uh, to answer something rather than they have to uh, they have to go through. And sometimes with some kids, it's a painful experience. And sometimes those two hours are actually determining if you're able to take a grade and get to the next level or not. And I, I find that's actually unfair, right? So now people have become really smart to uh, find a way where they are starting to focus more on learning than degree and education because the institutes are becoming a lot of governance and paperwork and less about learning. 
outcome is learning in the end of the day. If I, if I want to become a developer or if I want to become a historian or whatever field you take in, I want to be able to learn and see the outcomes in a way that I can actually apply them in real life rather than I'm holding a degree in a paper, paper in my hand. So I think there are lots of different ways you can look at it. But regardless, we are human beings and we love in living in the communities. Having an in-person connection actually does not replicate. One of the misconceptions in education sector, what happened and what created a lot of noise was change management again. Like uh, as a digital experience and digital intuitive courses started coming out, teachers went through a lot of change that are you guys trying to replace us? No one can replace a teacher an in-person teacher. No, they have to be the best facilitators. They are the facilitators, in-person facilitators who are trying to navigate through 30 different kids and where everyone learns differently. So you can use the same technology, same courses, in-person, in the classroom as well. So teachers are able to actually pay attention to the kids who really need their attention. There is no way a teacher can actually pay attention to 30 kids. These technologies are not only helping uh, on completely online, these technologies are going to help in-person learning as well. That's just my uh, point of view. And in terms of when you say cohort-based learning, I think uh, that's where the community piece comes in. You can replicate that as an online as well. I have seen so many online uh, workshops and courses are doing so well than any other. People just, but it has to be intuitive and more engaging. So, for example, I just recently did this one product management course from Mo. He's a product management expert within. His courses were not just the certificate, was they're very workshop-based. Like you're taking away the frameworks, right, with you, and you can actually really apply it. That type of learning is very workshop and intuitive, hands-on learning, rather than just a degree and reading and just doing an exam. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I, I smiled slightly when you were mentioning Mo because Mo Ali is going to actually, um, he's going to be a guest on the podcast um, later next month, hopefully. So that should be exciting. Um, no, I agree I with you. And I, he's my mentor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's amazing. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty excited to have him on the, on the podcast. So you mentioned that so you, we, we talked about access a bit, right? So I would like to maybe now, you know, you're, you've been in product for more than 10 years now. And I want to maybe bring on or talk about a local challenge. So we talked about in North America or Europe, where, for example, where, you know, MOOCs, massive open online courses revolution, it started. And now it's mm -hmm. maturing, right? They, they, we, we got to this realization, okay, now we need to introduce a more community-based element in our learning. But Pakistan is, you know, like decades behind, you know, the modern education system. And that's kind of, you know, it's not just decades, it's not just the system is decades behind. It's also about the fact that um, it's also about access to edu any kind of education system. The system is broken. But there's also like, you know, broken system, even if, if, if accessible could be, you know, could, could impact positively. Right. But right now, majority of the people struggle with the, with access part. So I'd like to know from your perspective, um, what are some of the biggest challenges 
um, that come about when you talk about access to edtech in Pakistan. Um, mm -hmm. And for example, for people that are working in this industry, how can the design product that really fast track that, you know, the, the access and the distribution issue? Um, because, you know, we're at this point in time, it's almost become a desperation <laughs> of sorts to be able to kind of solve this issue, solve the education problem in this country. Do you find the issue is more access to the people of the same content that is available everywhere, not or it's not being accepted as no, I think, a mode of learning? I think it's I think it's definitely about the quality of the content, right? That's one of the reasons why we see private schools doing or faring so much better um, in producing elites that then end up ruling the country. I'm not and I do not it by any means. I'm not discarding that quality of the content is important. But I'm saying that even if, for example, the quality was mediocre, majority just don't have access to it because education at a lot of times, one is that, you know, because, for example, school teachers, we talk about ghost, the concept of ghost teachers in this country, right? That there are no teachers in this country, right? So even if a bad teacher, or even if a mediocre teacher ends up making you learn something that's better than you not receiving any kind of education. So I was perspective that the problem is twofold. Problem is many folds, but primarily two folds. One is access, right? From so the distribution problem solve karna, and two is also the quality of the content. Um, I I would say in I think education system needs a revolution in Pakistan. I think it, and not in Pakistan in many parts of the world. I would say. Uh, focus on funds funding into the education system is it's your next generation coming right uh, still Pakistan has the same uh, mindset of having heavy degrees and that goes on your resume and you get the job right that uh, all of that focus is so the focus is so much on paperwork uh, and the degree that people try to fake it out I don't need to do anything if as long as I have that paper certificate I'm good right so I uh, and for that reason, the value of education and value of teaching is not appreciated and the content is not appreciated because um, in all the successful countries educationally, and I'm not talking about North America, really, I in there are many countries on the Europe side where the teachers are the most highly paid uh, profession. And the, that is because they they are securing their future by having the teachers highly paid so that their sole uh, contribution to the society is actually bringing up the young generation and making them the good contributors to the society. Education and learning is not only about getting the computer science degree versus a biology degree. Or you have to create good human beings who are good contributors to the society and, and then the change and be able to I think the main problem uh, in any education system is it's not student driven. It's not student focused at all. It's very system focused. It's all about the outcome is all about getting something out of it and people just focus on that, right? They don't focus on the learning because the environment is not being provided. So first of all, I think uh, spending the funds, I think it's it's a big issue. And, uh, and some sort of like, uh, guardrails who can open the school 
there are schools who are in the house, two bedroom apartments, and you can see there are schools open and, and then there are no guardrails, right? So I think the only way I think, um, uh, and that's where the biggest opportunity, you have a biggest opportunity in ed tech, because that's where if you can uh, start applying and creating a good content and a good quality content of the courses and education, it can really help, right? Because everyone has a phone in their hands. Everyone has a computer. Everyone has access to the internet. That was never there 20 years ago. It was a very, it was a very privileged thing. Now it is so cheap over there. I went to Pakistan and any, everyone, when you have a device in your hand, use a device as your, as your, as an opportunity to educate people, right? Even social so, media. I agree with you. I think so what's happened, what's, what's been a positive change with the proliferation of connected devices, like, you know, the internet, like people give, getting access to mobile phones and tablets and whatnot, and then having access to the internet, which in my opinion has solved the motivation problem, right? So it's not like almost, so what happened was that people are no longer living in their bubbles. Even someone in the village, in a village in Sindh, that if he opens TikTok, which they do, which we know they do, right? TikTok, Pakistan is one of the biggest markets for TikTok. When they open a, a TikTok, right? And they have access to reels and stories from people all over the world. And they see their lifestyle, what they, what that looks like, you know, people their age, what they're doing, what kind of society, in the kind of society that they live in, the kind of opportunities that they have. It truly makes them want that as well, right? isolated But now with the connected world, they no longer they have this understanding that there is a world on the other side where the grass is truly greener, where there are more opportunities. Just, okay, now you have the motivation issue kind of you know, okay, people understand that in this world, if you want to be successful, you know, you need to get education. And now this realization is more than ever. Like I feel our youth make motivation ka ek problem jo hai wo to at least thoda solve ho gaya. All right. So now you have that. But the problem still stands that you can have internet and, you know, you can have access to free courses via the phone, via your phone, but it still needs to be a conscious effort from a system. Like you said, right? it's a system problem. Ab wo system state provided hai. Ya wo aapke paas India ki tarah baijus hai, jo ek, ek private, ek, ek startup hai, jo aake disrupt karta hai. Ab I don't know what model will work in our country, to be very honest, right? And maybe you can shine some light on that. But I'm saying, how do we solve that systematic problem? Because people might be wanting to learn and aaj content ka access or distribution itna asaan ho gaya, kya ek gaon dehaat hai, right? So if you have a, like for example, if you're living in a village and there's a classroom, you can open a digital room, right? You have certain amount of funding that's given to govern to teachers about, for example, I'll give you an example. Wojo, um, recently Wojo, uh, Khan Academy, hai. they started their content in Urdu as well. And they started the content from grade one to grade 10, right? So how hard is it or how difficult is it to have, um, let's say, a, uh, uh, you know, a projector and a projector pe Khan Academy ka teacher hai, jo padha hai ek subject ke baare mein. Or potentially that can learn, right? That can listen to that. And there is a genuine passion and motivation to learn. Like, you know, but there still needs to be a system that's placed that still makes the curriculum. 
that still tests them on it, that showcases them what opportunities lie for them if and when they do graduate, right? So, my meaning is that it's all outcome. Why would someone would like to educate? Why would I want to learn something? What I am going to get out of it? At the end of the day, we have our problems, right? It has to be very problem-focused and the outcome-focused as well, right? So, uh, for example, there are we do not have equal opportunity for women to work, right? If we have equal opportunity, but how do we get there? Sitting at home, uh, sitting at home, if you are able to actually learn, but have a promised career that you can manage everything across, because these are some societal constraints. How do you enable those people? How do you enable? Only learning isn't there. Uh, they have to see the, there is a light at the end of the, and you talked about some people in village, right? What are their challenges over there? Do they want to make more money? Do they want to have a healthy life? Do they have to have light? Like what are the challenges they face and why are they actually going forward and want to actually really learn and educate themselves? We need this. There, there can be system or there is opportunity for some startups over there, right? There is a lot of hiring happens in Pakistan that like people are working for North America. North America is very privileged, but very consumer based economy but has good economy has money uh and if and they are hiring a lot from southeast asian market right if there are opportunities that we know that at the end of the day there is some outcome where they can actually get hired or they can work from home that that type of mechanism will work because in the end of them to have better economy you want more people to be working and and making money and have economy Right. So, and it will stabilize a little bit of economy as well. So I think the system do need to change, but I would not think that, I don't know. Until now, if the government has not done anything, I don't know how much we want to focus on that. That is something that I think, I think revolution can come just one step at a time. It cannot come. If there are, I think there are some opportunities that where you can open the job market, uh, learning and then job market, uh, in that way so you can do small little courses but there is a promise that you're going to get the job in the end or it's all it's all interconnected in my yeah mind. very very transactional in nature right um so, but being transactional in the end right that's true uh let's come back to product management um so you started, uh, you know, you, you've gone through from software engineering to product owner to director of product to now vice president of product. How has your product journey been? Um, so, you know, like uh, what made you fell in love with it? And like, for example, in your perspective, what makes a good product manager? So I'm sure like, you know, the like there is no good answer. There's no good universal product manager, um, or at least that's what I've been told because it depends stage adaptable right it depends on the stage of the company you're in so different product managers we have different archetypes of different product managers we have different archetypes of product managers that fit in well with different situations and different contexts right a technical product and a technical product b b2b SaaS, b2b consumer based for example early stage startup or late stage company but there are certain universal first principle fund uh, you know traits that you know, I'd like for you to talk about that you think make for a good product manager. I would 
say yes i think depends from product culture to product culture but i would say that why product managers are hired in the companies they are hired to ask questions they are hired uh, they most of the product managers who are hired are because of their curiosity because at the end of the day machines can give you answer but someone has to ask questions and that's why uh, i think uh, uh, the uh, the more whenever i hire i hire people who can ask better questions and who can challenge the status quo and also they also master delivery although it's not a delivery role but they they know how to get things done <laughs> right so i think curiosity is one thing but i would say they a, a good product manager is actually masters the customer science really that who the user is who the customer is why are they buying what their day to day looks like what their pain points are and then you have to be really know in and out of your product you are the expert on the ground but you have not because you are not a subject matter expert like for example i was not an educator to become an awesome product manager i was the one who could ask the questions and actually also challenge them right a lot of transformation happened under me because there is a lot of change happened those and i was the ad tech product manager during all those years and i challenged and when i left i saw how much change happened because so you have to ask questions right you have to challenge the status quo then business knowledge and your empathy is not only for your users your empathy has to be for your business stakeholders too because everyone has their own motivation and goals and you really need to understand where they are coming from everyone's coming from some challenge you have to be a very good listener you have to listen you don't have to listen to respond but you have to really listen and then whichever industry you go in you don't have to be a subject matter expert i don't believe in that you can all you can always be a generalist it really depends on like uh, different companies come up with completely some some of the companies really focus on subject matter expertise but i don't think it's it's a necessary thing uh, but once you go into that industry you have to get the industry you have to follow the masters and the leaders of that industry so when i was in education now i'm in coaching i follow all the best coaches in the world <laughs> like how what they're talking about what their science of coaching is because i want to know the science not necessarily that i came from that background yeah so that's, that's what i think yes no the, those are such incredible learnings for me as a product manager in early years of my my career so thank you for that um i'm going to take note of that um and it it resonates so much with you know like for example i see my product lead the the in my own company when i see my product leaders um you know emulating some of the traits that you just pointed out uh, it you know it also gives it it truly shows me um that there is so much to learn and there's still so much to kind of you know you i've just started to scratch the surface let's just say um <laughs> and i'd also love to know about your role as a mentor in for women in product right um you know why did you go like you know what kind of prompted you i know you touched about about your journey up you know and your roots um you know as a female being brought up in a family where your father wanted you to be educated and then being the only female in your um technical coursework at at your university and now being a mentor for women in product so and i'm just going to throw some numbers right um that i was while i was researching for this podcast so women and women hold 26.7% of technology jobs um and m- with much lower representation in leadership positions 
and then more than 50% of women in tech report gender inequality in some form or the other. So do you see this trend reversing or improving? Um, and what kind of efforts is the organization that you're part of making towards, you know, reversing this trend? I would, I, I would say, I would say personal experience. Yes, all those are facts that you're talking about. But I also do a believer of let's not talk too much about it and actually do something about it. So what are we doing on our end to empower women, right? So for me, it's like paying forward. I have had good coaches and mentors all my life. I have had, I have some really good, strong women around me. I would say either the internship of my friends, my sister, my mother is bad as too. But, oh. uh, but I'm just, I'm just saying that it's like you have to have someone to look up to when it comes to that. So I'm just paying forward, really. I have had good coaching and mentoring when you are in early uh, career and throughout is so much important um, because um, because uh, you have to have someone who's, who you can live and inspired by and actually, and it's an external and unbiased opinion, right? That's why I'm in this organ current organization too. There are, provide professional coaches who are unbiased, external, and you can talk about all your uh, pains. But in terms of women empowerment, I would say that whatever we say, I think women work a lot towards impact and all of that. In the end of the day, uh, if you are able to um, work and make something out of it and able to make your own earning and be uh, be independent, it gives automatically a confidence. But how do we prepare women for that? We know in technology, when a, when a woman, even if it's Google, any other high-tech companies, you said the ratio is always always men higher. We know that because there are so many uh, gender, so much gender equality, what are we doing to bring, give them more opportunity so that they have built, the confidence is low because of the number, right? I'm not I'm not saying that there is a confident com woman, com no, we have, and we have to coach and train them and give them, until we don't give them opportunities, it's not gonna happen. So what I do on my end, I just pay it forward. I just mentor and coach some women. And uh, it is regardless of what field they are in, really. So I think um, find someone around you. I always say to women, find someone around you. You will find so many people. You, it's just a matter of asking for help. Yeah, I've always I've I, I live by this principle that you know it's always easier to ask for forgiveness than to never ask. <laughs> no, no, you have to ask people. Uh, you have no idea how many people would be just so much willing. And sometimes we just make assumptions that it's not going to happen. Just ask. Yeah. So just ask. Uh, and, and that's and I why hope, I think education makes a big difference. Yeah. And I hope anyone and everyone who's listening to this um, reaches out to you. Uh, Abhi and Mari, uh, our reach right now is not that great. Um, so I don't, I don't expect your inbox to be flooded, but eventually one day when we are pretty big um, and someone just listens back to this episode, of a lot of people listen back to this episode, they're going to hit your inbox. And for those, I'm just, I'm sure your inbox is still open. Um, so now I'll come to, you know, the final two questions that I have stapled for almost all our guests. So one is, what is your favorite book? Um, so what what are your favorite books, book or books? I kind of give this disclaimer because kuch logo ko, you know, a lot of people get offended when they're asked to just talk about one book. So I'll just give you that flexibility if you want to mention if you want to mention multiple books, and it doesn't necessarily need to be about product management or edtech. 
you know it it could be uh, i'm sure a lot of our listeners are kind of you know interested in product management so they'd love some books that are aligned to that interest but anything it could be anything uh, and then second question is what is that one piece of content that you've come across this week and i find this to be a very interesting question because it it kind of forces you to uh, extract something from your recent memory so uh, what is that one piece of content and content could be you know a book or a article or a blog or a video blog um, that you came across this past week that you'd like for everyone to kind of consume um, and what learnings does it have so two questions the favorite book and favorite content this week so i would say for aspiring pms or people who are early career journey so uh, i'm a very big fan of marty kagan he's a product is an amazing product leader and i think he made such a big difference if you are an early career and you want to be a product manager you and you want to know what exactly this whole gig is about read inspired right and if you are getting into the leadership role in product management read empowered there those are two books are really good and some there are some other books hooked yeah, there are so many books around lean like i have um a bill trap i have few actually lined up here in, in the back um mm-hmm. those are really good product books and i do also lead a lot of leadership books and the culture of the organization i love i remember in my early careers uh, uh because i was doing a lot of um game development products and then really intuitive design products creativity inc uh, was one of my very favorite books for our culture i love brandon brown so i've read all of his book all of her books <laughs> around leadership uh, because i think she's one of those strong women and i do listen to lots of podcasts because i tend to not drive to work and it just helps me so one of my and i just get hooked with one type of person and we're making a difference i these days uh it's steven bartlett he is a very young entrepreneur uh he has a very good podcast called um the diary of a ceo and he interviews very different people so the content this week i would say one of his podcasts were done with scott uh galloway he's a very good marketer um and he talked about young generation and all of that so it was i enjoyed that i really enjoyed that and the book that these days i just started reading i'm a big avid book reader it's trillion uh, trillion dollar coach it is um uh, by one of the google leaders and uh, it's a it's an amazing book yeah, yeah that all, i personally all all incredible content um a lot of the books that you mentioned they've always been they've been on my to do list for quite some time but i haven't been able to get to them um yeah but no. see build trap is really good if you yeah. are if you're a product manager who's really working closely with engineering right it really depends on the space you are build trap is a small book it's not also very huge book yep right so if yeah. if you live dependent on it read build trap for all pms out there yes, all yes. right so you're not over engineering the solutions you're focusing <laughs> on the that's true that's true <laughs> All right. Um, my thank you. My team now <laughs> makes fun of me. They want to make a T-shirt. What problems are we solving? Because <laughs> I tend to focus on that. Uh, Karma. That that's that's incredible. All right. Thank you so much, Munira. It was honestly a pleasure, kind of speaking with you, learning from you, um, and I'm sure anyone who is listening to this will have similar opinions. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I hope we get to speak again, and you become a guest again, and we can make this a more Um, you know we can make this 
a monthly or a you know a quarterly routine at the very least uh if are there any parting words that you'd like to share with the audience no i would just say keep going i think uh slowly spread the word this is an amazing career uh in pakistan and when i was there it was not there so i think just keep going and don't forget to reach out for help whenever needed all right perfect thank you so you heard the lady um keep supporting the efforts and keep supporting us who and you know in our effort to kind of democratize um, tech and product knowledge and with that note goodbye